All right, uh, David and I were talking, um, we were talking about the Wednesday night Thrive, and we were talking about uh, the sermon I gave on the anniversary celebration outside. I said that was very narrative. It was very story. It was a story, more very um, experiential. And I and I said, well, I hope that's people remember that when I do today, because a lot of theology and scripture today. Um, It is the day of Pentecost. Uh, This is what the church celebrates. The liturgical calendar says it is Pentecost Sunday. And we've been talking about the things that happen next after the resurrection, between the resurrection and Pentecost. And this is where the Lord pours out his spirit. But before we begin... Let us read our scripture for out of Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Listen for the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of you speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Aegis, uh, Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed, They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they had too much wine. I'm going to go on a little further. Then Peter stood with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is the word of God for the people of God. So Pentecost, if you look up what that is, you know, it it evolved over time uh, throughout Christian uh, Old Testament history. Uh, it, It was originally the Feast of Weeks. You go back to Deuteronomy and Exodus, and you see them talking about the Feast of Weeks. It was celebrated uh, seven weeks after the beginning of the grain harvest. Um, And and then it kind of progressed like things do over time. In later Judaism, uh, it was celebrated 50 days after Passover. And uh, Pentecost means 50th. So it was 50 days after Passover. And over time, the... uh, Agricultural Association began to fade, and it began to transition into not so much celebrating the agricultural uh, crop or the the feast of weeks, but it was um, 
began to be increasingly associated with Israel's story, its sacred history. Uh, Pentecost became the celebration of giving of the law, where Passover was the celebration of the Lord's Supper and, and the deliverance, early Passover was the deliverance of Israel from uh, bondage in Egypt. Well, then Pentecost later became associated with uh, the giving of the law uh, at Mount Sinai. And so its annual observance began to point to a renewal of the covenant. So every year, some churches, some Methodist churches will do the Wesleyan covenant at the beginning of the year where we kind of renew our covenant um, at the, a lot of times that's done January, first Sunday in January. But that's what this was. This Pentecost, and this is important for us to know, Pentecost had been associated with the giving of the law and the, the, the covenant that God had made. It, and, and over time, it was a time to renew our covenant. Covenant or not ours, but theirs, but that's what, it, that's what it became. So this is important that the day that the, the prophet Joel prophesied that the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out was on the day when they celebrated and renewed their commitment and faith to the covenant of God. That's a, a big deal. Because especially if you get into uh, Hebrews, and we're going to, um, this is very important. Because the, what is happening between the death and the resurrection, the coming of the Holy Spirit, is that God is making a new covenant. Remember? And if, there's a, if you have to renew a covenant... Right? If you have to renew your insurance or renew something, you're trying to make sure it doesn't stop. So if uh, Hebrews 8, 7 says, well, if the old covenant was working, then we wouldn't need a new covenant. And that's one of the things. That we, we realize that the old covenant was not working. But on the day of Pentecost, when God pours out the power of his Holy Spirit, and it's, we are going to have access to it now, Jesus promised his disciples, I must go so that I can send the helper, the Holy Spirit. And so on the day that that's going to happen, God, it is the day of the renewal of the covenant. But the thing about this Pentecost that we read about today, that they would never have to renew it again. We would never need to renew the covenant over and over. Because Hebrews tells us that the, why the old covenant wasn't working. Hebrews 7.23 says, Now there have been many of these priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Right? So the priest would have to offer sacrifices over and over and over. And they would have to get new priests because they died. And so it's pointing out in Hebrews the problems with the old covenant. All that it says of, of Hebrews, of the new covenant, of the old covenant, it says that it is just a shadow of the real covenant that is to come. 
Hebrews 9, 7 says, It was necessary then for the copies of these heavenly things to be purified in these sacrifices, but heavenly things themselves better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter the sanctuary made in human hands that is only a copy of the true one. He entered into heaven itself and now appears for us in God's presence. So the, it's talking about the Old Testament and the Old temple of the Holy of Holies, that that was just a copy, a shadow of heaven itself, the Holy of Holies. And that Jesus, the high priest who lives forever, goes in, enters into heaven itself on our behalf to advocate for us before God. Hebrews 9 says, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter it by means of the blood of goats or calves, but he entered it the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, obtaining eternal redemption. So you see what's going on here? In Christ, he is living out the redemption that in the old covenant they had to do over and over because priests were only human and they used blood of animals. And now it says we have an eternal high priest, the risen Lord who advocates on our behalf. And it wasn't just goats, but it was the perfect lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And so we have a permanent, eternal high priest, and we have the perfect sacrifice. So this day of Pentecost, we're not going to need to renew it anymore because it is permanent. And we already had all of this stuff in Jesus, but now the last last piece that we needed after the resurrection was the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus told his disciples, go and wait. I know y'all, you're going to need some help. So you go and don't get started until you have the power of the Holy Spirit with you, until it is poured upon you. And it's going to be essential to the salvation and to the mission. See, if we learned anything about human nature in the Old Covenant... We, we learn that we cannot be faithful to covenants. It, it, through the chosen people, they were chosen to show how humans are going to fail in following the law, how we're going to fail in following the covenant. But we cannot keep God's law that he has given us to stay in right relationship with God. That's what God gave him the law for. He gave it to him in Deuteronomy, or before he sends him into the promised land, he said, here, follow my laws, obey my covenants, that will keep you in right relationship with me, otherwise you're going to stray. And so he gave us that law, he made covenants so that we could stay in right relationship with him. And over and over again, we break the law. We Break faith in the covenant. And we see that if we learn nothing from the Old Testament, we learn that lesson that we can't do it. And hopefully by the end of the Old Testament, we understand the truth 
of Scripture, we understand the reality of ourselves that by, we need a Savior because we can't do it on our own. We rebel uh, against God's prophets who call us back into relationship. We cannot be reconciled in our relationship with God uh, and others by our own faithfulness, by our own righteousness, by our own faithfulness, by our own merit, by our own ability or power. We can't do it. You know, it, it would be like trying to sail a boat without wind. I, I thought Garrett was here, so I was going to say um, smoke a brisket without fire, right? But we can't do it. It's impossible. We can't do it in the flesh. Romans, Paul talks about this in Romans over and over again. Those that live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those that live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. We can't do it. The law is spiritual, but we are natural. And so we can't live up into that and without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we have all of these pieces coming together for our salvation. God always knew that we weren't going to be able to do it. God always knew that he was going to have to give us this power, his spirit, so we can discern the things of God. And God knew this was going to happen. He tells everybody, he tells the world in Jeremiah. He said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with my people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon them. Yeah, I'm going to make an everlasting covenant. He says through the prophets. He says that several times. It's going to be everlasting. So we knew there was something that was going to be different about it. See, God, as I said, always knew that we weren't going to be able to hold up our end of the bargain. And we were going to break his law. We were going to break the faith and the covenant. And somebody might say, well, if he knew that this was going to happen, why did he give us the law? Why did he enter into covenant? Because he needed us to know that we can't do it. He needed us to know that, we need to, that we're going to need some help. We're not going to reach out for help until we realize we can't do it. And so the law tells us that we fall short, that we can't live... Uh, uh, according to it enough to justify ourselves. 
But the Holy Spirit comes in and it begins to change us and transform us from the inside out. It it takes the, the struggles of life, the joys of life, the valleys of life, our victories, our failures, it takes all of that in, a, in some amazing power, if we give it to him, shapes us and molds us and transforms us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't change anything. Sometimes that's where we fall short. We try to live by the law instead of living in grace. And if we're a church, if church people try to live by the law and justify themselves by the law, it becomes a burden. And it becomes a weight that we cannot carry. Because we might be pretty good and you might be better than the person you're sitting next to, but you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to, Paul says in Galatians, if you want to save yourself by living by the law, then you got to follow all the law. Does anybody in here, did anybody in here live a perfect week this last week? No mistakes, no missteps, no saying something you shouldn't say. That's what I thought, all right? And so if we understand God as pure and holy, if we understand holiness, we can never attain that if we're honest with ourselves. We can't get there from here. And so it is through Christ as our Savior. It is through Christ as our high priest. It is through Christ as the perfect, unblemished lamb. It was and the power of the Holy Spirit that God brings redemption to his people. This whole thing is all tied together from the resurrection to Pentecost, from the Old Testament covenant and law to the New Testament and all that has taken place in, in Christ that we might be redeemed, that we might be find our salvation. But we can't do it on our own. We need Jesus. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let me ask you, does anybody ever get frustrated with themselves trying to be a Christian? Anybody get here frustrated with their spouse? No, I'm just causing trouble. Yeah, it's hard. You know, that's what Jesus says when he talks about, come follow me, my burden is light. He's not talking about the burden of sin. He's talking about the burden of the law. Because the Pharisees and the religious leaders were putting all of these laws and demanding that they do what they couldn't even do. And Jesus says, come follow me. Doesn't, Doesn't make it any less true or holy it's not a compromise. It's not what Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace because Jesus satisfied the law, right? It's not just, oh, he says, don't worry about it because God's a God of justice. And so he said, no, I must, justice must be met and you can't do it, so I'll come. See, that, that's really what we're talking about here. Through Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit is that God said, all right, this old covenant is not working. 
You can't be good enough. You, you, you can't be holy enough. You're not faithful enough. You're just human beings. And you got this amazing gift of free will that takes over your life. And you use it selfishly. He said, so I've shown you through my chosen people that you can't be faithful enough. You can't be righteous enough. You definitely can't meet the demands of justice. So, since you can't hold up your end of the covenant, I am going to come down as a human. And I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be righteous. See, and that's how it is transferred to us. Because in the garden, remember Adam, Eve broke the covenant. They said, I choose my will, not God's will. In the garden, Jesus, on the way to the cross, he expressed his will to God. He said, I'd rather not do this, but not my will, your will. And so when we receive Christ as our Savior, we're saying, I no longer want my own power, my own ability, my own will. That doesn't work out always. But I want Christ. I choose Christ. And when we do that, we are justified. That's the only way we can be justified. We are justified before God. Because he no longer sees my unrighteousness or my unfaithfulness. He sees the righteousness and the faithfulness of Christ. And we begin to live into the new creation. We're, we're now born of the Spirit. And we can't live a spiritual life without the very Spirit of God in us. Remember, we can't. We couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't keep the covenant. And we definitely can't sanctify ourselves. But God's Holy Spirit in us can. And when we're honest with ourselves about you know, sometimes we just, you have, I was visiting my grandson this week, and you know, I've talked about him, we hang out a lot, and he is stubborn, and he just tries to do things he can't do yet. And I, I don't even, I, Brody, you can't get that. You, you, you're not going to be able to lift that. All right, go ahead. Papa, you want to give me a hand? That's what we're talking about, right? We have to, God lets us try and fail, try and fail, try and fail until we finally say, I need a hand. I need help. I can't do this on my own power. Even after we become Christians and we're born into the spirit, we, we, we oftentimes revert back and we try to, we, we, a lot, there's a saying that says, we come to, faith, or to uh, God through faith but then we try to sanctify ourselves by our works. We can't do that. There's, there's many things when I became a Christian that I tried to change in my life. Um, and a lot of it was hard. But there were other things I didn't even think about that just began to go away. I, I always use this. And don't, I don't want to hear about your confessions about cussing. Uh, but... I, that was one Desiree uh, when we first got married and you know before that I was a kid of the world and a jock and you know just cussing was part of everyday language and I never sat down and said I need to stop that never crossed my mind but one day Desiree said you know 
you don't really, I think she said something actually, but, and, and we started, I was teasing her about it. And she goes, yeah, I noticed you don't really do that. I said, yeah, I don't. Wasn't anything I tried to change. It just happens. But we live in the means of grace and we fellowship with Christ and we live in our relationships with God and one another's the body of Christ and all of a sudden things begin to change. We begin to transform by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus says, my burden is light. My burden is grace and forgiveness. You don't have to do this on your own power but on the power of the helper that I sent you. So it is in Pentecost that all of this comes to fulfillment. And the disciples are finally ready to go and to build the church and to share the gospel. And it's the same for us. The power of the resurrected Christ and experiencing the resurrected Christ being filled and born again with the Holy Spirit, and God can use us, mold us, shape us, and transform us. The old kind of overused sentence, let go and let God, through the power of His Spirit. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I come before you now as a person in need of grace and mercy. Lord, we all know that we fall short and we're unworthy. Uh, Lord, we can't fulfill the law to be righteous in us. We, we, we are unfaithful in our covenant to you and to one another. But Lord, where we fall short, your spirit fills in. Lord, where we are unworthy, we are made worthy by Christ. So Lord, we thank you that uh, you don't love us because we are worthy. We are worthy because you love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.